Good morning. I can barely see you all. I don't know if it's my age, my windows are getting dim, or if it's just this light's extremely bright. In either case, be glad that I can't see you. My wife was laying in the bed the other day, and we were drinking coffee. Does anybody here do that? If you lay in bed and drink coffee in the morning, how many of you guys, your wife doesn't even talk to you until you give her coffee? I mean, I need to know this. Stand up if you're one of the guys and your wife doesn't like to talk. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, we're family, we might as well talk about these things. <laughs> Brent's uh, pushing me over here. We were laying in bed and drinking coffee, and she began to talk to me a little bit. Sounded something like... <laughs> it's not till the second cup that it makes sense to, to me. She's reading a book, and she's laughing hilariously. And uh, I, did, I, did, I was afraid to ask what, uh, what it was about because she's saying, you always need to read this chapter. You need to read this. You need to read this. And I'm a very slow reader and obviously a very slow learner. <laughs> I said, what is it? And she said, it was this young preacher who preached at this church he was riding home, and I may have the story a little bit off. He was riding home with the pastor. The young preacher asked the pastor, how did I do? He said, well, son, he said, I'll say this. He said, you went deeper than just about anybody I've ever heard. He said, you stayed longer than anybody I've ever heard and come up with less than anybody I've ever heard. <laughs> So I hope that's not the case. Now, I don't know why she told me that anyway. but It's offensive. Will you stand with me, please? Turn and face somebody. If you're not getting along with them, then that's the person you need to face. We did, maybe we just take about 15 seconds and go ahead and clear the air. So if you need to be reconciled, get it done. Everybody facing somebody, say after me, Would you bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget none of his benefits. Now some of you all are looking at the side of the other person's head. You're supposed to turn around and face each other. He forgives all of my iniquities. He's healing and has healed all my diseases. This is the part we should love. He's redeemed my life from destruction. 
think we should cover that again. He's redeemed my life from destruction and crowned it with loving kindness and tender mercies. He's made me a tree of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Blessed be his name. You may be seated. Now, if that's the longest conversation you've had with your spouse in a long time, you need to get counseling. I'm so very excited to be here this morning. This place is a, it's a very intimidating place for me. There's so many people here that are so far past me. Um, but I learned a long time ago that I needed to just be myself. I remember the first time I come into this fellowship and I ever shared here, I was walking out of this side door behind Pastor Des. To him, I must have been an absolute goober and possibly still am, but I was following behind him and I was just fine. I was a little nervous, but I was fine until I hit that door and I saw all these people and I don't know if it's visibly obvious or not, but I could, I could hear my knees banging. And I'm nearly bow-legged. I can't even put my... That, that's, a, that's a feat in itself. I could hear my knees banging. Amazing thing is I realized then I'm not Pastor Des, and I'm not Pastor Dan or Michael. I'm just Larry. So I will do my best to be myself this morning. God has dropped something in my heart, and this hasn't been an easy word for me. Some things are, are just not that easy. It was, a little, it was a bit of labor to me. I kept struggling, sleeping. But I want to talk to you about fresh hope. God help me to get all this out. Fresh hope. I believe in my heart, after wrestling with this thing for a while, I believe God wants to bring into this fellowship. There's something in this place that's about to explode. I told Dan last Sunday when I walked by him, I looked at him and he said something to me and we spoke and I said, this place is ready to explode. Absolutely anything here is possible. The groundwork in this fellowship has been laid. And I felt like God was saying to me as I began to seek him about what to share on. He said, I'm going to send a wind. This is, this is what God told me. I'm going to send a wind of hope through this place and expectancy. 
Now, for whatever reason, you may be one of those people that have been here so long, heard so much that you've lost your ability to look for anything new. I know there's nobody here like that. We become a bit stagnated. We, we've just been where we are. We've not heard anything that's doing anything for us. Have you ever been at that place that you just hear things and, and you just say, well, we got that done for the week. Nothing extraordinary happened. The reason I'm here this morning is to talk about where you've pitched your tent lately. paradox is that we got a lot going on in the world and there's a lot of stuff out here happening. We come in here and we're a sheltered place and we hear the word and we're encouraged. The world is still the same. We live in a permissive society and I'm just going to have to preach just a minute to get this off of me, okay? We live in a place that has no restraint. Pastor Dan spoke of this, at least the word restraint passed my ears on the 10th of January when he spoke. The restraint is self-control. Stuff's out of control out there. We visit the Spirit and then we get back out there and we lose our perspective. We come back in and it's like all of our hope is gone and we're not expecting God to do anything new. The most we expect is just, God, get me through this next week. When God spoke to my heart and said, I'm fixing to send a wind of hope through this fellowship and expectancy, I felt like it was way beyond the ordinary. I believe in the next two and a half to three years, things are going to get a lot darker. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. But I know this about the church. The darker it gets, the brighter the light begins to shine. I remember Pastor Dez saying this, and he's probably back there thinking, I hope... He doesn't say things that I didn't say. I remember him saying, no matter how weak the church is, the light of the church, in total darkness it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. Our permissive society is a mess. The church system itself has, has to learn that sin isn't a skeleton you keep in the closet. That we surround with restrictions to keep it in its place. It's a defective relationship with God. If we aren't convinced of the nature of that defect in our lives, it's unlikely we'll accept the remedy for that defect either. In our society, you know all that the Scripture 
in these last days. That kept ringing in me. And how many times we have heard that through life? In these last days, people would be rebellious, disobedient to parents without restraint. Home economics class, a homemaking class, we used to make sugar cookies. Now they pass out birth control, saying if you're going to do this, then at least use this. Tell me that's not true. We go from saying weed is medicinal to weed is recreational until now we've approved and pass laws to protect it. If you're going to do drugs, I know this don't sound like a message of hope, but just stay with me. If you're going to do drugs, then we'll pass out syringes. At least you won't get hep C. Just bring your dirty needles in and we'll exchange them for clean ones. Get this and understand this about weed. It may be in some states legal. They may call it medicinal and recreational, but it's a gateway drug to sheer a life of hell. God destroyed cities for what we pass laws to protect. It's about as far as I'll go with that. While we've done our things Sunday after Sunday and we've been blessed day and day in, day out, and week in and week out, listen to me this morning. It's not the time to be passive. It's time for the church to begin to lay boundaries of restraint and righteousness. We need fresh hope in the church. We become comfortable with the ordinary. While our kids are faced with this, I have a new grandbaby. I started sending Andrea a picture of her so I could put it up like the rest of the pastors do. I prayed over her all the way from the first time I heard she was there. My wife and I prayed over her every day before she was ever born. For nine months, we prayed over that child before she got here. And I said, God, you did it before. Would you do it again? Fill that child with the Holy Ghost all the way from the womb. It's a fearful thing for our kids. It's scary. We're passive about that. Let me just read this to you and see if this doesn't sound like us today. In 2 Timothy, you've heard it a jillion times. Don't be naive. I'm going to read it out of the Message Bible. There are difficult times ahead. Now, I know in the Spirit, we say Joel prophesied and then... In Acts, the second chapter, the prophecy was still coming true that he would pour out his spirit. But on the other side of that fence, be conscious of this, that in this world we can't afford to be naive. 
Difficult times are ahead. I have never felt the impact of that scripture as many times if I've heard it as I did this past week. He said, as the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed and money-hungry and self-promoting and stuck up and profane, contemptuous with appearance, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending. You know, it's funny to me that that word is in there, unbending, which in some scriptural references it's called unirreconcilable. Isn't it something that the first two things that God gave us when we got saved was the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation. And the enemy has a contrary push out there in the world for it. We become unbendable, irreconcilable, impossible to bring people together. Know this about the Lord. He bent over to us. God left where he was, came to where we are reconciled us back to himself in Jesus. But that wasn't his first trip. God doesn't have a beginning or an end. He was the, he was the man that was the rock in the wilderness that Moses should have spoke to, but he smoked. He was the fourth man in the furnace. He was at the council when they decided, let's make man in our own image. He is God Almighty. He is the pre-incarnate Christ. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the God that was and is and is to come. And he's given us the responsibility of the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation. Not, un, not, not misfounded that in these last days people would be irreconcilable. Slanders, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags, addicted to lust and allergic to God. They'll make a show of religion but behind the scenes. They're like animals, stay clear of these people, the word said. If there was ever a time the church needed hope, we need it today. Now hold with me here. In Romans, I'm going to go there. Worse followed, refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women and men didn't know how to be men. Sexually confused. They abused and defiled one another, women with women and men with men, all lust and no love. And then they paid for it. Eugene Peterson said, and oh how they paid for it. Emptied of God and love, godless and loveless wretches. And then all hell broke loose. I'm reading out the scripture. Rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious backbiting. They made life hell on earth. With their envy and wanton killing, bickering and cheating. Look at them, mean-spirited, venomous, fork-tongued, God-bashers, bullies, swaggers. You ever seen anybody got their swagger on? I'd need help with this one. 
Can't get too far away from the podium, I'll fall over. It's that arrogant thing. You may have your strut on and you're strutting your stuff and looking around, God saying, this is the indication of what it looks like. If the church ever needed hope, it's in a world like we're in today. We have to be careful when we speak, fearful of what we'll talk about for fear of lawsuits. And our kids are sent out into this every day of the week unless you've got them in a Christian school. Thank God for Christian schools. We need hope. One of the ladies that graduated from the center years and years ago, she's not here and you wouldn't know her. She called me on the phone and she said, Larry, my son... Need, my grandson needs help. I buried that boy's mother. She OD'd on the bus, wedged herself in the bathroom, and they took them two hours to get the door open, and she was already dead. Now her son is 17 years old, and his grandmother that come through our program years ago is calling me saying, I don't know what to do with him. She said, he looked me in the face and said, you're not going to tell me to go to school. I don't have to listen to you. You'd have to know her. She's not a very soft person. She looked at him and she made this statement, you better take all of your tennis shoes because you're going to need every bit of the rubber. And I told her, let me tell you something. Before you deal with that boy in the flesh, you better deal with it on your knees in the spirit. That's what the thing is looking like today. The church is going to have to learn how to do battle with one hand and work with the other because we face a new day. We're going to need a new sense of hope in the fellowship. Our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty through the Spirit to the pulling down of the strongholds. And I encourage her to go home, get on your knees, and ask God to begin to call down the high places that's set up in that boy. And I began to tell her, I said, let me tell you something. Here's what it looks like in the last days. And I read her off that list of stuff today. And she said, Larry, he is all of those things. Bethesda, we have dealt our bread generously. But get ready because we're going to need fresh hope. We're fixing to have to deal ourself to the hungry. There's a grave difference. Pastor mentioned mentoring these young kids without fathers. You're going to need a new fresh sense of hope. We have to deal ourselves. That's another story. We're going to have to do the warfare before we go there. Now I want to get to what I can actually come here to share. That's the state 
of our world. We're in a different place. I believe what the Lord dropped in my heart was this. He's going to bring into this fellowship, and it'll be like a wind I feel in my heart, to bring a fresh hope and expectancy to this fellowship. Where have you pitched your tent today? I want to mention this to you. These, these, these words God dropped in my heart. Maybe you have pitched your tent at the place of regret. These words are not random words that I come up with. I felt that he dropped them in my heart. Maybe you're here and you've pitched your tent at the place of regret. And you feel sorrow and remorse. For whatever act or fault that you had or disappointment. Unable to go forward in life. Because we're unable to get past what we did or should have done or didn't do. We have camped at the place of regret. How many of you have regrets in your life? How many of you are stuck at the place of regret? Want to go forward. Want to hear more. But we pitched our tent at the place of regret. The second thing he put in my heart was maybe you pitched your tent at the place of frustration. You stay frustrated all the time. Feeling of dissatisfaction in life. Accompanied by anxiety and depression. Coming from unfulfilled needs in our life or unresolved problems. So we pitched our tent at the place of frustration. We stay frustrated. Anybody at that place this morning? Maybe you pitched your tent at the place of doubt. A feeling of uncertainty about the truth and reality. You even question your relationship with the Lord. You camped at the place of doubt and pitched your tent there. You're finding it hard to move on. Or maybe you pitched your tent, there's only five of these, at the place of disappointment. Disappointed in a person or a thing. Who's here that hasn't been disappointed or disappointing? Pitched our tent at the place of disappointment, a person or a thing that disappoints us. You've had a bitter pill to swallow and you're stuck there at the place of disappointment. Or maybe you pitched your tent at the place of hopelessness this morning. And you're at a place of total despair and, and, and you feel inadequate for the purpose in life. That word is for somebody in this fellowship, specifically. You feel hopeless. 
not adequate for the purposes of life. I remember a man I know who used to pastor here that said it is a possibility that you can touch all of your ambitions in life and never fulfill your purpose. He said that all of our ambitions are related to our desires, but our purpose is related to our destiny. You come to the place that you're hopeless, full of despair, felt inadequate for the purpose that God has for your life, and you've lost that sense of expectancy. It is to you that I speak this morning. We become a bit barren and stripped out in life. Nothing left. There's nothing left to give. I'm going to venture off here and go a little bit different route. I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel, the first chapter. I don't have it on the screen because I didn't plan on going this morning. This is the story of Hannah. We're talking about fresh hope coming into the church. You say, but you hadn't talked about anything but negativism. That's what we face in the real world. This is a protected place in here. God's saying you're going to need a new, fresh hope for the days ahead. It's going to get darker, but the church is going to become brighter. Let me read this to you just a minute. And I'll probably slaughter these names. Elkanah had two wives. The first was Hannah and the second was Peniah. And Peniah had children and Hannah did not. That's his first problem. He had two wives. <laughs> Every year this man went from his hometown to Shiloh to worship and offer a sacrifice to God of the angels, angel armies. And Elkanah sacrificed and he passed helpings from his sacrificial meal around to his wife, Peniah, and all of her children. But he always gave an especially generous helping to Hannah because he loved her so much. And because God had not given her children, but her rival wife taunted her cruelly, rubbing it in and never letting her forget that God had not given her children. This went on year after year after year. And every time she went to the sanctuary of God, she could expect to be taunted, and Hannah was reduced to tears and had no appetite. Her husband Elkanah said, Oh, Hannah, why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? And why are you so upset? Doesn't that sound like a guy? <laughs> She's wept year after year, time after time, and all of a sudden he's catching on. Why are you crying? What's wrong with you? 
my wife has a way to handle that. She's, when, when she's telling me something I need to hear, she always says to me, you're not looking at me. I said, yeah, but I hear everything you said. Yeah, but you're not focused on me. This went on year after year. And Hannah was reduced to tears. And he said, Hannah, why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? Now her despondency has driven her appetite away. Why are you not eating? And why are you so upset? Am I not more worth to you than ten sons? What he didn't understand is the conjugal affection didn't replace motherhood. So Hannah ate, and then she pulled herself together and slipped away quietly and entered the sanctuary. And the priest Eli was on duty at the entrance to God's temple in the customary seat. Crushed in soul, Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried inconsolably. Then she made a vow. Now, this woman's in some severe pain in life. She's been taunted by the other woman all of these years. And she said, oh, God of the angel armies, if you'll take a good, hard look at my pain. If you'll quit neglecting me and go into action for me by giving me a son. I'll give him completely and unreservedly to you, and I'll set him apart for a life of holy discipline. She made two vows, or a vow with two parts. First off, she didn't give him for two or three years. She gave him for a life. And she said, he'll be a Nazarite. No razor will ever touch his head. Out of such desperation, she's asking for something only to turn and offer to give it back again. Her husband was trying to be sensitive to her. It so happened that as she continued in prayer before God, Eli was watching her closely. Hannah was praying in her heart silently. Her lips were moving, but no sound was heard. Eli jumped to the conclusion that she was drunk. I wonder why it is in the Scripture that every time God starts showing up on people, somebody thinks they're drunk. Bless Eli's heart, he jumped to conclusions that she was drunk. And he approached her and said, you're drunk. How long do you plan to keep this up? Sober up, woman. Isn't this amazing? It's amazing to me that what we lack in discernment, we bring out in judgment. He jumped to conclusions. I had an old man tell me once sometimes that's the only exercise we get is jumping to conclusions. He jumped to the conclusion that she was drunk. 
Hannah said, oh, no, sir. Please, I'm a woman of a heavy heart. I haven't been drinking not a drop of wine or beer. The only thing I've been pouring out is my heart. Pouring it out to God. Don't for a minute, she's worried about what he thinks about her. Don't for a minute think I'm a bad woman. It's because I'm so desperately unhappy and in such pain that I've stayed here so long. This is a woman that needed hope. See, in the Hebrew, for a Hebrew woman to not bear children was the deepest of sorrow she could know. One version said God had shut up her womb. But how many know if God shuts something up, he can open it up too? Hannah's fully aware of this, and she's saying to God, if you just give me my hope, if you'll take this away from me, I'll give that son to you. Now, most of us would have a hard time turning loose of what God's given us. I thought of this story, and I thought how hard it would be for this woman to take this baby and to carry it and rock it. She was rocking her promise. God had given her what she asked for. And to keep him at home until she had weaned him. And then to take him to the temple and leave him for the rest of his life. I tried to think of how Pastor Des would put this in the past, so I come up with this. What a servant. What a sorrow. What a sacrifice. What a song. She began to sing. Eli said to her when he got a hold of himself, Go in peace and may the God of Israel give you what you've asked for. Think well of me, she said. She's still worried about what he thinks about her. Church, let me tell you something about this new hope, I think, that's coming into the church. This wind of hope is we need to get over ourselves about what people think. If you're here this morning and you're camped out at the place of hopelessness, it doesn't matter what other people think. God hears you and He knows that place that you're stuck in or that place of doubt that you question your own validity of relationship. When he said, she said, think well of me and pray for me, she said and went her way. Then she ate heartily and her face was radiant. Up before dawn, they worshiped God and returned home to Ramah, Ramah. And Elkanah slept with Hannah, his wife, and God began making the necessary arrangements to respond to what she had asked.
I want to read you this prayer. You've heard it before. Hannah prayed when God gave her the son, and she took him and offered him back to Eli at the temple to leave him for the rest of his life to see him once a year. Her prayer started in pain, but it wasn't limited or confined there. Now she said, Hannah prayed, I'm bursting with God. News. I'm walking on air. I'm laughing at my rival and I'm dancing my salvation. This is now she's got the son. She's left him at the temple and she begins to sing. Nothing and no one is holy like God. No rock mountain like our God. None dare, don't dare talk pretentiously. Not a word of boasting ever, for God knows what's going on. He takes the measure of everything that happens. The weapons of the strong are smashed to pieces, while the weak are infused with fresh strength. The well-fed are begging in the streets, while the hungry are getting second helpings. The barren woman has a household full of children while the mother of many is bereft. God brings death, and I'm getting to the part you have to hear. And God brings life. He brings down to the grave and He raises up. God brings poverty and God brings wealth. He lowers and He lifts up. He puts poor people on their feet again. He rekindles burnt out lives with fresh hope. Restoring dignity and respect to their lives. A place in the sun. One thousand years later you hear that song rephrased and sung again when Mary was impregnated by the Holy Ghost with Jesus. This song out of that, you brought hope. Both of those women asked for something. Both of them gave them back. What a sacrifice. You may be here this morning. You may be full of doubt. You may be full of hopelessness. But God has made room. I want you to stand with me. Bethesda Church. I encourage you this morning out of Isaiah the 54th chapter he said enlarge the place of your tent I encourage you this morning to pitch your tent at the place of hope stretch out your curtains of expectation think big lengthen your cords of love and use plenty of cord and drive your pegs of faith deeper and deeper. God's going to infuse this fellowship with a sense of expectancy and hope.
that we have never known. In Acts, the second chapter, it blew in like a fire. But we need hope. Some of you have been stuck where you're at for a really, really, really long time. And God's saying to you this morning, enlarge that place in your tent. Think big. Think big. For some of us, it'll be different. you this. I take no credit for this word. Eugene Peterson made this statement. For some of us, it's true. You say, well, I'm a rock and a pillar in this church. I'm glad for that. But maybe this word is for you. Maybe you're stuck. Eugene Peterson made this statement. Some of us, we've constructed personal and theological dwellings for ourselves that are far too small. Then God comes to us and there's no room for Him. We poured our foundational habits and framed rigid attitudes and roped our lives with limited goals and inadequate to contain Him when He comes. When God comes, He's coming to give life and life more abundantly. To you this morning, Bethesda, how different this word may be to you. I believe God's going to blow our mind at this place. We need to start thinking bigger than we're thinking. Get a new, fresh sense of hope. And above all, that sense of expectancy. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I believe the time is coming when we'll ask the Lord. And we'll see it happen when we ask. He said, I'll open the windows of heaven upon you. When you begin to deal your bread to the hungry, and then you begin to deal yourself to the hungry, the word said to the Lord, if you will do these things, I'll open the windows of heaven and I'll I'll hear you. That when you ask of me, it'll be done. People often think when Pastor Steve is overseas in crusades, why people respond there like they do. They need hope. When you go and you bring hope to people who don't have hope, they embrace it, they grasp it, they run to it. But here in America, sometimes we've camped at places so long 
that we become stuck in life. And I believe God is saying to us this morning, I'm going to unstick you where you're stuck. I'm going to allow you to pitch your tent in a new place. I'm going to begin to bring changes to you. So in Isaiah 54, he said, enlarge the place of your tents. Stretch out your curtains. Get ready. Israel embraced this word because they were ready for God. And I'm telling you this morning, God is coming like a wind of hope. I want to offer this to you this morning. I know this is a different word. If I have touched those places in you this morning, I want to ask you to come to the front. If you're stuck at the place of regret, I want you to come to the front. Come here. I should have. We can't go forward for thinking about all the regrets in life we have. Some people actually go through marriage for years and years and years regretting that decision they've made. Unable to move forward in the relationship. This word is for Teen Challenge, but it's for this whole fellowship. You're stuck at the place of regret. Some of you are stuck at a place of frustration in life. You're frustrated all the time. You're dissatisfied. You have a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression that's coming off of that. It's not the wind of hope. It's the, it's, it's the wind of despondency. I'm asking you to come. I don't care your age. I'm going to take this frustration off of you. I know this word is different. I make no apologies for it. But it was labor to me to even put it together. I struggled with this. It's not the kind of word I love to share. But what excited me was when God began to tell me, I'm going to bring a fresh wind of hope and expectancy into this fellowship. We're going to start coming to services and fellowship in this place with a new sense of hope and expectancy that God is fixing to show up here. If you have doubt, I'm talking about deep-seated doubt, doubt that you pitched your tent at the place of doubt and you begin to question 
your own sense of truth and reality. You've even gone so far down in your heart to question, question whether there is a God or not. I never see him. Come on up closer. I've heard of all the things God does at a distance, but I've never seen it with my own eyes. And we begin to question down in our heart, is this thing for real or no? And you found yourself with your pegs driven deep in the place of doubt. And you're having trouble expecting something new. Maybe you're just a bit disappointed in life. You say, with a word like that, you're bound to touch somebody in the fellowship. I didn't give it for somebody. I gave it for specific bodies this morning. You feel a sense of disappointment. Somebody's disappointed you. You've been unable to get over it. And you feel in life that you've been dealt a bitter blow or you've swallowed a bitter pill. I want you to step out and come here. I want to pray for you. You say, why are you doing this? God never strips us to embarrass us. He brings us into His, into His arena to heal our And lastly, and this was specifically for somebody. You camped at the place of hopelessness. Despair. You felt inadequate for the purpose. And you've even said to yourself in life, I don't want to live anymore. I want you to come. If you struggle with hopelessness and you're stuck there, you've camped there, I want you to come. I want to pray for you. We've settled in our life for what Pastor Des says is the status quo, which is Hebrew, he said, for the mess we're in. We can't get out of it. Now we need God to breathe a new fresh sense of hope upon us and expectancy in life. Our ladies, one year, went to, was invited to sing at the Parks Mall at the Ice Arena. And our whole tribe went and sung. And I remember Charlene saying to me, I wondered why we'd come here. Just to sing to people skating. When it was all done, one woman come up and she said, Whoever you people are, you were here for me because I thought about taking my life today. You never know where people are stuck. I'd like the ministry team to come.